Okay. Naganago, Mekoche, Chesukomaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsutapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chinookie, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest, acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation and more. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement so we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my family, my community, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klinsho Tine Intehe in Satu Dene, meaning big dog, many big dog horse, or many big dog town, uh, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, another English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Sleepy Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an, a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous LGBTQ2 community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. As a Dene woman who attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue, reports to advocate for, and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I cannot say have a great weekend um, knowing that these my community is dying from current drug policies, imposed Christian-based drug policies of abstinence programming, private health care, and justice built on racism, land theft, and imposed British constructs, continuing genocide on Indigenous peoples. Uh, Frank Young of Red Earth Cree Nation is still missing, still no Amber Alert. I think of them and so many others as we honor their lives today and every day. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen, as a treaty partner in this role of so-called reconciliation. I honor the Blackfoot elders as they've been so kind to me on my, Black, on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot and Leonard Kenny taught me how to spell, uh, pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk down my red road. I've been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide, yet I have given free book clubs, podcasts, and info on my social media for years. 
and as so many others. <laughs> At this point, it is willful to be ignorant on these issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments and your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And today I'm quite excited because I have some really cool guests that I want to talk about and plug. So would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Uh, thank you for having us. My name is Kim Owen, Muscopinacean Sugar. Um, it's a Cree name, so I'm a Neheo Esquail from Pipot First Nation and Treaty 4 Territory in Saskatchewan. My name uh, was given to me at birth. Uh, it means little red bird flying in the rain. Um, <clears throat> fortunate enough to, to have a uh, decolonized name, if you will. Um, so I actually grew up in the United States uh, on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation from when I was about four until I was about 13. Um, coming back to Canada, I moved to Calgary and I'm so blessed um, to have made this place my home. So I really acknowledge and honor um, the people in Treaty 7 territory. <clears throat> and I've never ever been treated better or welcomed as much as I have been by, by Blackfoot people and, and, and the Indigenous people that, that uh, are originally from this land. So yeah, thank you for having me. Honor to. Okay, Idamik Skanatani. Nidaniko Aksabu Danaki, Nidumtung Pikani. Good morning. My name is Theodora Warrior. My Indian name is a Good Shield Woman, and I'm from the Pikani Nation. Oh. Um. <laughs> okay, yeah. sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I was born in Calgary, but did not um, grow up here. Um, my mother was very nomadic um, and she followed a lot of her education, um, extremely intelligent woman, two bachelors, two masters in education. She taught uh, English, the subject, not the language. Um, and she also taught Blackfoot. She was working on a PhD before um, funding or family life <laughs> um, stopped her from doing so. But um, yeah, so I grew up mostly uh, in Washington State, Seattle. Um, I did grade two in Mexico City because she was doing an internship down there. Um, and then mostly between Seattle, uh, Yakima Valley and our reservation, um, Bikani, and uh, which is in the southern part of Alberta. Uh, so yeah, I had a very uh, interesting childhood and, and seen a lot of the world um, at a very young age. Um, and so that exposed me to a lot of different cultures, um, different perspectives, but um, ending up back here in Calgary, life took me on a big circle and, and then ended me up back here. And um, yeah, and, and it's really interesting how uh, I came into the position that I'm in and um, being able to help my people. Oh, so this is for having great. Me. Ah, I can't wait to talk to you both about just your backgrounds alone. Okay. So <laughs> I so rudely interrupted you because you were like, oh, I'm good shield woman. I'm like, ah, because I've, I've been working so much with Awutan Healing Lodge and Awutan, Ruth Skelplog, she talks about her name and it, it being um, a shield woman. So I was like, oh, geez, the, that connection and, and kind of hearing what you said. And I was like, oh, that sounds really close. And then you said it. And I'm like, oh, no wonder. So I, I'm sorry that I interrupted you. And, and I can't wait to talk to you because, OK, so now two things that popped into my head that you just said. You were in Seattle. You grew up there during Robert Picton, but also um, uh, Twilight. So I want to talk about that. We'll, we'll talk that in a minute. But I want to go back to the fact that you were born and, and spent a lot of time in uh, Pine Ridge, which is like, well, all the stuff is going down there that comes from Calgary. 
So I don't know how political you want to get for sure. So if you want to elaborate on any of those things, you're welcome to, or if you want to do bubblegum um, kind of things about Twilight, I'm totally down for that. But also I really want you both to have the floor about the great work you're doing. And I'm, I'm really glad that you're on here to talk about that today too. I love Twilight, by the way. It's one of my favorite movies. I could talk about Twilight for the whole hour. <laughs> okay, perfect. Now, screw work. Let's talk about Twilight. I'm just kidding. Well, just real quick, though. What happened with me was my daughter was born. And you know how they have those um, those uh, growth spurts? She, and she was mm -hmm. nurse like crazy. And I'd be like wide awake at three in the morning. So I would just read all the Twilight books. And that's how come I read them. So that, And then I've had, obviously, a very different picture of what um the wolves the werewolves were obviously but and then when it came out i was like oh i can't yeah <laughs> i have very different thoughts <laughs> great thing about a book um actually way back in the day when i was <clears throat> my late teens early 20s i was in modeling and uh i actually auditioned for twilight because i wanted to try acting but <clears throat> the way that we read the script um was the scene where Tinsel Corey got the the part that that I auditioned for and by all means she's like number one young actor in the indigenous community and I'm sure she's still out there but um it was so funny because I'm like reading the script and it was a scene where she comes in and she's like oh you're the vampire girl and she's like and you're the wolf girl and like we read it completely wrong I'm like yeah acting is definitely not for me <laughs> such a funny story just by chance because i moved right so this was uh justin rain came to the city of calgary oh on 2014 and he gave away all of these like he signed them right there and i'm like well i need that for my twilight can, uh collection so i totally got that <laughs> i love that that's awesome i've never seen or read twilight oh my God. <laughs> honestly like today you would be like so offended but back then there was no representation. So this was like, yeah, team werewolf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good to know. Yep. Good old Taylor Lautner. <laughs> I know he's such a little sweetheart. And they put the wig on him too. I'm like, oh man, now that I look back, I'm like, wow. <laughs> right, right. I'm sad about it now too, but at the time we had no representation. So it was Very like true. the best we got. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're on this podcast <laughs> i have to argue with that a little bit we did have quite a bit of representation maybe not in mainstream but we definitely had like um the indigenous entertainment industry like coming up um there was a lot of different actors and stuff that were trying to get into that mainstream i don't think a lot of them were at th that time, but definitely now I see a lot more representation. Um, Isn't it great? I even think of uh, yeah. <laughs> Adam Beach, who's been you know doing this forever. Michelle Thrush, doing this forever. Uh, so many great um, folks for us to look up to. I watched Corner Gas, and we had one of our um, you know fellas as a as an RCMP. And I'm sad to say, but they always became my favorite character for no other reason than that was the only representation I, I would see on the mainstream. So, uh, but I think today is so different. Uh, Reservation Dogs, obviously, it's such a, you know, fun thing to watch. Um, Rutherford Falls cracked me right up. So yeah, we're getting there. We have lots of really good uh, representation today. So that makes me happy. Yeah, um, I don't want to stay on the Twilight topic for too long, but funny thing about that movie was that part that Taylor Lautner had gotten, um, <clears throat> part of that role was to uh, cut the braid off. So there was people that were qualified and um, very much good enough for that role that were Indigenous, um, but no one wanted to cut their hair. <laughs> they wanted them to cut their hair, so. How come I have never heard that before this moment? I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. I would I wouldn't have known that if I didn't know like certain people that were auditioning for that role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was part of the agreement was <clears throat> for them to have a braid and then for them to cut their hair. Wild. <clears throat> I don't know if that's like that would be a really great panel discussion, literally for an hour with mm -hmm. all of the main stars that we know, because that's just so well it's a spiritual issue. I, I don't know. Anyway, please, Theodore, I, I, I've seen you want to kind of chime in. So please. 
My son has long hair. It, yeah. I've never cut his hair since he was born. Um, his dad actually has long hair. And he's the only one out of um, all of his childhood friends who still has his hair. And um, yeah, it's past his butt. He's just got this really long, beautiful hair. And that's his pride and his power and his respect, right? That's and so, um, yeah, he's never, ever wanted to cut it. And he's very careful about, you know, people wanting to touch it and it's like you know teaching him you know that's like your private part you don't you don't just let anybody touch it that's power and and it's sacred and it's a part of you so that's how he treated it and he still treats it that way today and so I'm, I'm very proud of him to to still be um having his long hair when all of his childhood friends have, no longer have that some I of them are growing it out like trying to come back with it and, yeah. and that's great that's wonderful um that they're finding their way home and yeah but that's something that I'm very proud of my son for um continuing to have yeah no I'm really proud of him for that too if you ever get a chance because to me that's it's a really hard battle to talk about and funny enough my last podcast I talked about a woman coming up to me just wanting to touch my medallion and how violated I felt but from her doing that but the weirdest thing was I had my drum and the stick was pointing out so she literally walked into my drum and my stick the way she went to grab my medallion so um it's like I, as I've been taught my drum has spirit and I felt like my drum was protecting me mm. um and I I just it's shocking mm. to me the violation that people think it was if I was white I would never go up to some stranger and grab their like necklace and say that's so pretty Right? I would never do that, but yet it's perfectly acceptable. And people give me a hard time for being white passing, but I'm like, well, when I'm in my ribbon skirt wearing my medallion, I'm native enough for people to want to violate my boundaries. <laughs> you know? Hola. <laughs> my goodness. So yeah. Um, so let's talk about um, some of the work that you've been doing, because I, I, I talk a lot, obviously you heard me talk about economic oppression and uh, how that's systemic. And here you both are trying to work really hard of uh, helping folks through this ridiculous system that we have. So I'd love to hear more about the work you're doing. Um, you can go first. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've been um, in my position um, as a facilitator for almost a year now. Um, and I started out in November with um, just throwing it out on Zoom. So I run a financial literacy program um, called Money Moccasins. And the reason why I called it Money Moccasins is because um, it's a financial wellness journey. And we have been barefoot um, in terms of walking this um, pathway that we've been put on. We've been put on this. Uh, and so to be able to, um, you know, when you're going somewhere, what do you do? You put on your shoes, right? So for uh, for me, it was, you know, putting on moccasins and um, being able to walk this path a bit easier, but you need materials to make those moccasins. And that's what my program does is give you all of the materials as tools to create that, that tool that it, that is, is to help you along this journey. Um, because it's lifelong and, you know, moccasins last for a very long time. They're durable and that's what they were made for. Um, and so, yeah, it was just um, recognizing and, and in doing my work, uh, finding out the numbers of what we actually are. And I was just telling Kim this morning, I did a little bit further of a dig. And um, so we're at 1.6 million. Here in Treaty 7, we are around... Um, 27, 28,000 of all five nations combined. And so top to bottom, coast to coast, um, they've got us counted at 1.6 million. So we'd be roughly just over the size of Calgary. Um, but in doing some, some more digging there, they counted a lot of Métis in that number. Uh, I thought it was all First Nations, but it, it was actually a lot of Métis and Inuit. So once you take out the, Mét the Métis and the Inuit number, when you're looking at First Nations, um, we're just over 900,000. So there's actually less than a million of us and we're actually very rare. And, you know, it, it, was, um, it was very, um, a staggering number, like, a, you know, a bucket of cold water thrown on me. And I was just like, oh my God, like, 
you know, growing up, seeing all of all of the natives and and knowing that we are here and and we're still here. Um, but to actually put a number to it was very shocking. And so, and then it started to make sense to me about why we are so, um, it's so hard to find somebody like us in, in a position of um, <clears throat> leadership or, or of support and um, to be able to create that and, and have those spaces um, as, as, you know, something that wasn't there before but now we are in these places of you know people understanding um you know once the children came out those are stories that we already knew mm -hmm. um but once they came out that was a confirmation and that was i felt um you know an awakening for them that they need to really take a look at the damage that's been done and start to repair that and create those resources for us to empower us to bring us up to their baseline. We have a completely unique baseline across the world. Uh, we're the only ones, you know, everybody else had their parents and their grandparents, and we are down here without them. Um, they've had stability, wealth, um, love and nurturing, um, whereas ours was completely damaged. Uh, anytime we tried to grow economically, we were stifled. We weren't allowed to sell our crops. We weren't allowed to buy machinery. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are, were... I'm just going to interject. And for folks who are listening to this, if you um, read the book, Lost Harvest, which I've plugged thousands of times in the stupid show, that's it. this is what she's talking about. Uh, Clearing the Plains, another great uh, book about these policies that she's talking about. So I just want to plug those books so that folks do their research. And I know you're speaking truth. Yes, and I only speak to my truth. Um, and so, yeah, realizing and recognizing these these things that have hindered us and why we are the way we are, right? Um, and, and speaking in, at different um, functions and to different groups of participants, and um, you know, I, I keep my classes strictly indigenous. I do not allow any non-indigenous into our circles of learning um, because I don't need to be educating somebody on what residential school is. Um, that is up to them to take that upon themselves and make that a responsibility to teach themselves and their children. If I had to learn what they taught me about themselves and their children, um, then it should absolutely go the other way. And so I, I don't, we don't, we have that space to, um, we don't have to worry about being judged. We don't have to worry about our safety. Um, you know, if we want to talk about residential school and its impact, then we have that opportunity. It's not something that we, you know, we have to talk about, but if we want to address it, we know, we understand where we come from and we've been through that. You know, my mother attended residential school from the age of four to 14. And so, you know, I, I know firsthand um, everything that she's been through and, and everything that trickled down onto me. Mm -hmm. um, and so being that cycle breaker is where we're at in this point of, um, you know, having this path being set for us, um, that we are to get over it and assimilate with everybody else, um, you know, is something that I'm changing. I'm deconstructing that and changing that stereotype and breaking that cycle and giving us a new path. Because I've been down that one. And so my classes um, and workshops, they, you know, talk about that and, and how, how we can totally change and, and change this course we're on. And, and here's a different path. And here's some moccasins to walk. And this is, you know, a container for your water and, and how to tend to your fire, which water I refer to as money. And, you know, fire is credit. And just really making the material resonate with us where we understand it because we're taught that everything has a spirit and that's how to respect it, create that respect for um, you know, the items in this Western world. And so- Can I yeah, just pause really you? That is amazing. Yeah, that resonates with me as an indigenous woman, listening to what you're saying, that resonates with me so strong. So thank you for framing it that way. Yes, thank you. Um, but yeah, that that's my work and that's my passion um, because there's only so many of us. Um, you know, I'm like, 
all right, this is it. This is our time to strike. This is Indigenous Rise. Let's get after it. Let's learn their ways. Let's teach our children. Let's, you know, change that change that path and change the systems, right? Eventually, that's where I want to go with this is changing those policies. Because who said, um, what department, who mandated that it was, um, you know, $229 is, is what you're given to live on on welfare on the reserve. And it's a system that's been in place, um, you know, for forever. Uh, it's still in place and there's no development there's it's still that stifling and and so how do you live on 229 dollars a month I always get asked well I've done it for a year it's tricky but you know it, you become extremely resilient and extremely resourceful yeah. and um but now you know when you start getting larger amounts of water you know you need to learn how to have a tool to hold it right sure and change that and get buckets and continuously build on that a drip at a time it, it's going to build up right as long as you have something to put it in um you know because other than that they're just pouring it in your hands and what are you going to do with that yeah. right it's all just going to run through and and so yeah just making that point and um empowering knowing that you know two years ago i was a student of this material and seeing all that it could be for us and how it's necessary and needed uh, a needed resource in, in all of our communities <clears throat> and being able to deliver that two years later, yeah. right? Going from student to teacher um, and having the life experience behind it, you know, understanding the realness of living on the reserve and living off of the reserve and um, all of those barriers that we face both on and off. It's, 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 a, it's a very hard, um, if you don't know how to navigate it, if you're not strong enough, um, you know, you you really have to draw that strength. And that's who we are. We're just so resilient. We're built that way. Um, and we're still here. And so changing those systems to make things, getting that equal playing field, um, that's what that's what my passion is to to reach that point. Mm. Ah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. That was a beautiful, beautiful explanation about what you're doing. So I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking that time and putting it all out there because I think we all need to understand that. And it's important to me that people hear what you just said. So thank you. Um, yeah. So what, what would you like to add? <laughs> um, I would definitely say like, you know, Theodora's program is needed within all of our communities um because I also resonate it with with it as well so like I never grew up knowing what credit meant or um you know like how to get a credit card uh what it means to have good credit what bad credit is um you know like I don't know anyone in my house or in my family that's ever owned a home so it's like I already feel like so far behind right and we like look around and, you know, we see our friends that are non-Indigenous and, and it's like, well, why, what, how, how do they get that? Like, you know, how do they have all of this? And, and, and we don't, and it's only been over the past, like few years, I've started to understand um, what it means to have good credit and, you know, like building that up and having those, those financial goals. Um, even though, you know, that's not what, even this is what Theodora kind of, uh, explains it as is like that's not where our wealth comes from like those material things so um but it is good to have you know like in in the society that we're living in and to be able to pass something down for our kids um so yeah uh i guess what i'm doing right now is well actually i can kind of start like where i started so basically i'm quite new into my career um i've been in my career for about four years i started working out at uh one of the shelters um crazy crazy experience uh working there you know like a lot of um violence a lot of overdoses um and just coming from like the type of background that i come from you know the trauma right from childhood up into adulthood uh it was really really triggering for me i was there for almost two years um but i couldn't do it anymore you know like seeing people dying like right in front of you and having to you know give them naloxone give them cpr mouth to mouth 
um, it was just too much, you know, so I, I loved working at the shelter. Like it was such an amazing community to be a part of. And it's, it's crazy. Like when you, you think about, you know, like people that are, uh, suffering from homeless or that are experiencing homelessness, you think, well, I, I would say that probably society thinks that, you know, there's no sense of community there, but I've never, ever felt the sense of community that I did when I was working in the shelter. Like people just absolutely love each other. They take care of each other. You know, they have street family, they have street moms, street dads, street brothers and sisters. And I was just like, oh my God. And even (laughs) when they get out of it, like they're still, their heart is on the streets. Like I know uh, quite a few folks in our, in our community and it doesn't matter now that uh, they have a house, they're still all of their energy and effort and free time goes into helping street people all the time. Exactly. And I think that's why it's so hard for some people to actually leave homelessness too, is because they've gotten that sense of, of family, you know, and then when they go and live into their own house and they're all alone, well, it's like, it it is a culture shock for them to be alone like that, you know? And I think that's why a lot of people cycle in and out of that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a whole whole other topic. But then it, I, I went. It into- is, but before we move on from it, <laughs> let's remember the longest um, night of the of the year. That night, right. every year, is the night we remember all we've lost to homelessness. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's important because uh, what I, <laughs> there's two calendars. There's the colonial Easter Christmas traditional one, and then there's ours. And like that is a really important date for me because I think um, like it shows to me. The, the day of genocide that colonizers have imposed on our people. And these are our casualties as a result. And I know a lot of uh, non-Indigenous just have no concept of this whatsoever, but a lot of our houseless popul- population are 60 scoop or Indian residential school survivors or their, their kids. And they don't understand the trauma that has caused people to be houseless. And that mm-hmm. said, there's also even the non-Indigenous, it's an example of their poor eugenics policies against people who have a disability or maybe a mental health or addiction, like poor policies for all these things, right? So Mm -hmm. um, even the non-Indigenous that passed that day, to me, are just another example of their poor genocidal eugenics policies that are just absolutely atrocious. And they don't even understand the state exists or the cause of it, they're nothing. So um, I think it was really important before we move on just to acknowledge the trauma you endured just by witnessing um, overdoses. Like it's, mm-hmm. there are many organizations trying to take care of our folks doing overdoses and they witness this all the time. And a lot of them don't even get paid for it. And uh, so when we promote the Bear Clan or Street Cats or anything, it, there's a reason for it. And mm-hmm. yet uh, this is in another realm of, you know, NHL hockey and teenies for people who have no concept about uh, the people who they actually exploit <laughs> the land that they've stolen, right? So I just wanted to honor that for a second, and I appreciate you sharing all of that. And I will let you continue on with, with <laughs> the things you want to talk about. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. I was just going to actually add on to that. So for the the night that you're talking about, I believe that's on December 21st. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yep, Somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so after that, uh, I went into work in the criminal justice system, and you know, it kind of it kind of fell on my lap, to be honest. Um, going into work with the women in prisons, um, so kind of just rewind to uh, why I wanted to go into that field was because uh, speaking of Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, um, so my mother was in prison before I was born uh, for a very large amount of time in uh, prison for women in Kingston, Ontario, which is where I was born. Um, it's shut down now because of it. Well, first of all, it was the oldest prison in Canada, um, but it was shut down uh, after a series of, of serious events were happening there. Um, so anyway, there was a woman uh, named Ellen Moves Camp. She's actually, they call her one of the, the Unchis, which means like the grandmothers of the American Indian movement. Um, she, her and a, another woman named Gladys Bisonet, uh, they were the ones to go to the men um, in the 70s and ask them, well, what are you guys going to do about, about what's going on in our community? So they were really the ones to, um, 
ask the men to go like in prayer and go in spirituality and, and stand up for their nation. So she's done a lot of work, uh, you know, across Turtle Island in the United States and Canada. And when my mom was in prison, uh, she was working in that prison in P4W. Um, they were bringing culture to the, to the women that were there. And it was actually the first prison in Canada where they were allowed to smudge. So she was actually the one to, to bring that to them, um, which created like a ripple effect, you know, across, across Canada. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, when my mom had gotten out, um, Ellen had taken a, a liking to my mom and she adopted her as her daughter. And then she actually delivered me at home. Um, and then shortly after that, we, we had moved to South Dakota. So that's how I ended up being raised there was because my, my uh, adopted grandmother had brought in my mom and my dad down there, down there for work. Um, but yeah, so, so my, I had this like feeling in me, I'm like, okay, I want to work with women in prison. And I was still working at the shelter. And then it I swear to God, like law of attraction is so real because I got a message and I actually was messaging my old boss. And I was like, yeah, like I, I really want to like work with women in prison. And she's like, well, why don't you come work for me? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and it's like, boom, within like two weeks, I was um, going into the jail. So we uh, would go into the remand center, um, help out the ladies there, and then also go down to the Lethbridge Correctional. Um, and what a feeling, honestly, of like going into a jail, but like being the other person. Because I, I remember being young and like going into cells. Sorry. You know, I don't know if everyone has experienced going into cells. Like, I don't have a criminal record, but I've definitely been in cells in my youth, youth life. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just being like the person on the other side was like surreal. And, you know, like seeing this old building outside of Lethbridge, I think is like, I don't know how old that building is, but it is creepy. Like, I can't even imagine some of the things that have happened, you know, in that building. So, Anyway, well, there's um, a place that needs a smudge every day. Hey, yeah, so and now um, I did actually complete 180 uh, coming into the work that I'm doing now. So um, right now, what we're doing is uh, designing a Indigenous tech program. Um, for an all Indigenous cohort that's going to be launching in September. <clears throat> so what we're trying to do is uh, design it from an Indigenous lens and make it really uh, comfortable and safe for Indigenous learners to come and, and go into the tech industry. Um, so we're underrepresented in that industry, which is funny because we're overrepresented in everything like the prison system. Um, what was the other Poverty. one? Poverty. <clears throat> homelessness and then when it comes to these big you know like economic game changers or these ever-growing economic you know fields it's like well there we're not there so yeah it's just really cool to be able to be a part of um what we're doing so uh what we're the direction that we're going is basically you uh taking like the strength of the indigenous community on social media, because you know how we're all on social media, everyone's on social media, everyone uses social media to communicate, you know, like all of our issues, good and bad. Like we are very, very connected on Turtle Island through social media and that is so, so cool. And like when Theodora talks about what our population is in Canada for indigenous people, it's like, really? It seems like there's more because of how connected we are, you know? Yeah. So what we've done is uh, basically created a curriculum so that they'll be able to go into digital marketing, um, social media management, and web design. Um, I should be taking your course. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's ages 18 to 40. And it's... Oh, um, never mind. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. So 18 to 40 uh, launches September 19th. Um, yeah, so if anyone is interested in that, we're going to be starting our marketing campaign pretty soon. Um, maybe Michelle can can share some posters. 
uh, on Facebook or Instagram or all the other platforms out there. So you bet I will. I'm so excited yeah. to. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Um, there's there's been like moments of like, oh my God, are we going to be able to fill these spots? Are we going to be able to um, do this? But I think that, I don't know, like I've never heard of a tech program anywhere that's focused on Indigenous people that's mainly about social media. Like, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. So I think hopefully it's going to be revolutionary. You're going to be a guest speaker <laughs> nationally across Turtle Island talking about the work you're doing. And, and everybody heard it here on Native Calgary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't even started our marketing campaign. Yeah. So look out for that. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um, we're on some tight deadlines right now. So we're just trying to really, uh, it's crunch time, basically. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and because next week or next week, next month is uh, June and that's our month. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, so now we got two things we have to do. We have to like clean up all those loose ends and then, you know, go to all these events that we can't. <laughs> I'm like, now I got to stay up yeah, till exactly. two and try to get this stuff done first. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you guys have any events coming up for June that we should know about? Uh, so June 21st, our Indigenous Engagement Working Group has put together, um, we're putting together an event for staff and some of the partners um, that we, we work with. And so we're going to um, have a meal of bison stew and bannock. I'm going to do a fry bread demonstration. Um, what else we got? We've got some, we're bringing, uh... some vendors in some powwow dancers and drummers yeah um, we're hopefully we'll have a teepee by then that we can set up and um share some elder stories with mm -hmm. uh, we've got our elder roy bear chief and we've got our board member metis um art cunningham that will be um will be sharing some of some stories and just really showing that indigenous um are welcome here at momentum and that there is space and um, you know, what makes these programs work is Indigenous teaching Indigenous, mm -hmm. right? Um, is, it, it, that's key in, in anything in, in order to reach us and retain us, um, then we need to be in these positions and be seen in these positions so that um, we have that safe space, we have that same ground. Um, and to be able to understand our backgrounds and not have to over explain when, you know, our lives happen are happening to us um, because we just we just have some very crazy lives that, that <laughs> you know nobody understands it's so hard to um, you know if 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 your employer or you know isn't understanding why you are the way we are you know you are is it, the way that I've explained it um, in a number of different of my um, speaking to people is that our job, our entire job, our whole purpose was to uh, raise our children in balance with their environment and with themselves. And, you know, colonization completely destroyed that. They tried to break it as much as possible. Um, imagine what I share with them is, you know, imagine just an entire uh, community whose sole purpose was to do that. And then all of a sudden there's no children, nowhere. Um, you're not hearing laughter, you're not hearing stories, you're not, um, and those were gifts to us. You know, our children are gifts to us from creator and for us to um, have them removed so violently and, you know, never seeing them again or, or them coming back and being different from all the damage and trauma that they incurred at the hands of others and um you know sometimes they came back they were different or sometimes they came back and there were no parents you know dying from break, broken hearts and um or starvation or disease or whatever else um you know impacted us and yeah. and breaking that and so that's what i put in their minds is imagine that imagine never seeing that and and then you know, having to carry on and get over it and just get back in line with everybody else like that didn't just happen and, and just have a normal life and, and but yet not having any of those parenting skills or financial skills or social skills or 
um, education doors opening for us for helping us to get to that baseline mm-hmm. um, and see so you know I tell them when you see that person that is broken down on the street and is is in their life of having that's intergenerational trauma that is the repercussions of residential school and you have no idea what they've been through and what they're continuing to go through it's not a choice it was not ever a choice it was a path that they were put on and so that is where it comes in to change that path opening those eyes and and you know having them listen to our voices because it is us who need to be in these places to tell them it's okay you know we're we're creating this space you're welcome here you're okay you know nothing's wrong with you that's just the way we are and and we can change that we can help one another right it's always a question of um to me it's always been a question of our elders asking what are you going to do for your people right and so this is my purpose this is my drive this is my reason for living is to help us um get through these situations that we were put in and and heal ourselves begin that healing but we need that space created first we need those ears open we need those hearts open we need those doors open um you know educating themselves on 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 our plights and 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 how can they help well start writing those letters change those things um you know learning about us there's less than a million of us I'm one in a million she's one in a million you're one in a I'm million, one in a million. Yeah. <laughs> you know and we're the only ones with stardust in our DNA you know we've always told them that we come from the stars and we do yeah. um nobody else has stardust in their DNA so I think that's very something to take home with you um you know is that we are so very special and um you know, to be treated with respect and dignity and honored because we do carry a lot of, um, you know, teachings with us about how we were stewards of the land and, and how we raised our children. And, you know, I'm the first one in my family to raise my child um, that didn't have to attend residential school. This is not that long ago, you know, you start talking about residential school and people think you're talking about, you know, 200 years ago. No, you know, this is still very fresh and very new. This is how I remind people. um, Well, one of our brothers, um, he uh, brings up, if you want to be my lover, you got to be with my friends, because that song was released the year that the last residential school closed. And I tell people I graduated high school in 94. And like officially in the TRC, it says 96 was when it was closed. But as we learned with Cowlessness First Nation, that was 97. So to give perspective, like you are talking to somebody who should have been in Indian residential school, right? So that like, just to give that. uh, So I I totally agree with what you're saying here. Just really, really grateful. Actually, both of you have spoke so strong in this entire, interview and I hope people are inspired and understand you know when I say some of the things I say at my opening and the closing you're living it you're talking about it you're being open and honest about it and I'm really honored that you would both talk about it so willingly and um yeah I if you uh need people to fill your slots I'll uh if you let some you know 45 year old into your program I'll come (laughs) (laughs) but vice versa both of you I will be promoting your work anytime that's awesome. I was going to say that might be something for us to keep in mind for next year's cohort, because um, I think like within the Indigenous community, like how many creative people we have out there, you know, whether it's like with podcasts, art, um, there's so many entrepreneurs out there. There's so many people like you, Michelle, that have, you know, platforms and, um, you know, like, you know, we were talking earlier about like the algorithms on Facebook and stuff. Well, like, I don't quite understand that. Um, and I don't think a lot of people do. And that's why it's hard for um, a lot of people to promote their businesses. So like one of our goals um, for the graduates for this Indigenous cohort going through the tech program is to possibly take our entrepreneurship program here and then, um, you know, be able to utilize all of the skills that they've, they've developed through their training. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, at being at a craft market, when was that last month? 
um, I was talking to a couple of people and they're like, oh my God, that would be so cool to take. Cause you know, like they have, they have the art, they have all of these beautiful things that they want to sell. And like, you know, like to, to, you know, make our uh, indigenous economy stronger, but it's like the, the skills are lack there on like that specific area. So like, that's why we really want to tap into that because there's such potential. There's so much potential out there. Just to um, give you an idea, like it, it, there is a part of ethics for me too, right? So for example, um, like white people too, I am one of the most successful longest running podcasts there are period, end of discussion because wow. most podcasts have very short windows. And as you both know, you get small, short little um, grant fundings from small pockets of government here and there. So then you have a small, short little program that only lasts for five seconds. And that is so incredibly frustrating because we would never do that to K to 12 or something, right? Regardless, um, because I don't know how to monetize, I haven't. But also I don't want a sponsor like Shell taking you know over my podcast because i can't ethically say shell is a great company they just kill all the indigenous women nationally globally <laughs> you know I, I i can't do that but i can take their money in order to go to your program or something you know and and as you all know all everything here is sponsored by all companies when it comes to june or or such and um because that's the the people that will will give us money because the governments are very you know sketchy with the funding that they'll give and the other thing is is because i'm not technically a nonprofit and i'm not technically a business registered under the colonial um registration of of the Alberta government um i don't qualify for nothing right so this is just totally a self-funded self-motivated podcast and um you know so so there's those ethics of indigenous economy compared to colonial mm -hmm. economy right so even for me like trying to figure out how to make peace with certain things and honestly the lgbtq2 plus and art community have been the best ones for me to kind of draw from and um not that i've gotten any of their money but the support i have you know so um anyway that's just something i'm going to throw at you as as you go through this because you know i don't fit i don't fit in anything right now and um if it wasn't for my my husband being able to sustain this, I wouldn't have one of the best podcasts. Like I'm not Joe Rogan by any stretch. I just mean that um, statistically, most podcasts end in a short time frame, and especially if you're indigenous, right? So um, yeah, just weird how this all comes together. And yet, like mm -hmm. we were talking about algorithms, you know, trying to promote ourselves through like the Moccasin Telegraph and and such. Like there. There are barriers that we face that are different than non-indigenous so um anyway really appreciate you both coming on my show any lasting um things that you want to add to uh to anything i might have forgot to add there um i just wanted to say that um we are uh we both work for a non-profit organization so all of our programming is free, free. and i have expanded <laughs> my program to reach all of treaty seven um so i can go on nation and do in-person facilitations um, and that's something that they didn't have before. And that's something- Can that I pause I you right there? It, it's a huge deal. And the reason why um, I worked for a nonprofit that would only deal with the four, 12 communities of the greater forest lawn. And they had an issue with me going beyond it, despite not, because they didn't understand Treaty 7. They didn't understand indigenous, urban indigenous. They didn't understand, and they didn't want to. Right. Mm -hmm. So the funding miraculously got cut. <laughs> so what what you're doing is actually really revolutionary because Calgarians especially have such a narrow understanding of what Treaty 7 is, which is why I do a land acknowledgement teaching free for Indigenous, um, you know, nonprofits, you obviously have to pay. But, um, you know, that bigger picture, they just don't get it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So re really revolutionary and good job on that. Yes, thank you. I, I actually use their land acknowledgement because if you're going to acknowledge that you're on Treaty 7 territory, mm -hmm. then you need to include all of us. I wanted to bring this home. I'm from the south and their border wasn't accommodating. And I was like, you know, if you leave, if I'm <laughs> leaving out my people, that's my people I want to bring it home to. And you give me that, you know, remove that boundary, expand it for all of Treaty 7. Then you also reach, you know, a Kainai as well. Yeah. And so in bringing us all together in unison and being able to lift us all up at the same time, 
um, that just made more sense to me and, and it made sense to them in order to continue with their truth and reconciliation journey. And it was understanding that they need to include us all. Hallelujah, big creator. <laughs> <laughs> Any other lasting thoughts? Uh, I was just going to say, so we are going to be starting um, in-person info sessions in June. So I would say just look out for our, our marketing campaign. Um, it's going to be everywhere. We're going to be at a lot of events this summer. Theodore and I will probably be at um, the Aboriginal Awareness uh, powwow. Um, hopefully the hand games. We're just working on getting a booth there. Um, we're going to be at the Calgary Library powwow coming yeah. up. Um, we're going to be everywhere. So look out for us. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Tell me about the hand games one only because um, so my daughter has been um, learning a lot from Peter Daniels and he really believes in hand games for everybody. So if I can get my daughter in that, I'd really like that, but they may not yeah. have a team, but then I'll tell Peter and then maybe we could create a team, really like a team. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played hand games since I was in about grade three, but I was looking up some videos the other day and I was like, holy. <laughs> so fun. But my people, yeah. that's like their big thing, but they exclude women. So my hope is, is that, uh, you know, when I see stuff from home, I, I look at it and I share it anyway. But, uh, you know, like my daughter is identifying as Two-Spirit. And mm -hmm. I think there's a really big Two-Spirit uh, community because like you were talking about how little our numbers are, but yet our Two-Spirit are so strong. And I mm -hmm. think it's because, um, you know, we... It, um, we were kind of talking about it earlier with um, colonized makeup, like the, the colonized concept of sexist is mm -hmm. so wild. And I think our youth are like, yeah, no, nothing of this makes sense. I guess I'm two spirit then because of the colonial construct of what sex has to be, um, you know, or gender roles, I should say that um, more so. So I, I don't know. Anyway, that's a off topic. I apologize. Thank you for coming on my show. And uh, know that you're both welcome anytime, uh, separately together, whatever you'd like to do, promote whatever um, program that you're working on. And I think you're doing 100% fabulous work. Um, in 2013, when we were trying to run uh, Canada Learning Bond programs and such, like it was really hard to basically the work you're doing, Theodora, with trying to give that concept of uh, economic construct like we were having to do that and try to get people to sign up for a Canada learning bond. So of course it wasn't successful. And we just did yet another uh, program with um, chaos, really love chaos, by the way, they did a whole um, section on Canada learning bond that was really indigenous focused and used some of their program money just to make indigenous like uh, centered artists work in order to talk about language, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really positive. But that uh, bigger picture that there's just such a gap there between Canada, the government of Canada and Indigenous economics. So I'm just really grateful you both came on here to give your perspectives, talk about the programs you have coming up, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Masi Cho. Thank you. Thank uh, you for having us. <laughs> so honored. Okay, so I'm going to do my exit and you both are welcome to chime in because this is uh, just like my Indigenous book club. My Indigenous book club is Indigenous centered. So um, white people can be there and listen, uh, but they speak last. They speak after we do because we never got a chance to speak. So um, I, I think it's really important, Theodora, that your program is Indigenous only. And um, I just wanted to encourage anyone listening, uh, because I'm no longer affiliated with Calgary Public Library, speaking of boundaries, that you had to have a, um, a library card in order to be a part of this. And this is another example as far as I know, I'm the only Indigenous book club and I've been running for six years. So anyone is welcome to come. It is open to anybody. We did the uh, chapter one and two of the National Inquiry. Our next book is The Indian in the Cabinet by Jody Wilson Raybaud. Uh, then we'll be doing the National Inquiry three and four, Unreconciled by Jesse uh, Wente. That's August, September, National Inquiry, chapters five and six, uh, October 10th. Res Rules by Clarence uh, Louis, and all of the uh, authors have said they're coming, except Jody, because I think she is going to, she already, I, I contacted her too late, but she might come, even if for 10 minutes, so in case she does, you might want to come to this, just message me, uh, National Inquiry in November, 7 and 8, and then December is Standoff by Bruce McIver, so, um, and also, 
if you're in Calgary, join the Reconciliation Action Group, please, because we need all voices talking about all 94 calls to action, not this limited scope of maybe we'll in, have a land acknowledgement in our email. Like the, it's ridiculous what the non-Indigenous community is doing. If you're not in Calgary, there are reconciliation committees nationally. If there isn't one, start one. And then I will support you. I will have you on my show if that's what it takes in order to let people know. But they're usually there and the churches at, do need to do more. I uh, wanted to do yet another plug for Naomi Sayers, who's out in Ontario. I know half of the, my listeners are in there. She's at the Sioux. She put out a really fantastic article about the uh, sexual harassment, racist sexual harassment she's um, receiving right now. If you're in Calgary, I'm helping Marilyn North again. I would love to see you do that. Edmonton has uh, Jody Stonehouse. She's running. So, you know, if you don't see Indigenous people in your areas running, then that's on you. That's an exclusion, of course, by these harmful colonial parties. Anyway, another story for another day. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and created cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 to speak. I want to say thank you to Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca and their little piece on what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. If you've not read it after hearing so many of my podcasts, what the heck? Their work, uh, along with those cultural action tools, I have said a hundred times in my podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Lateral violence and uh, internalized racism is a part of the Indigenous uh, healing journey that we have to work on. So I highly recommend anybody who comes from a marginalized community go to uh, racialequitytools.org, What is Internalized Racism by Donna Bevins to help you on your healing journey. Um, also, we have to address, um, you know, anti-Blackness, um, ableism, uh, homophobia, transphobia that we have in our community. But alternatively for non-Indigenous people, man, you got lots more work to do. Um, Do's and Don'ts for Bystander Intervention by American Friends Service Committee. They have a great uh, piece at AFSC.org on Do's and Don't Bystander Intervention. So this is the type of thing that you would utilize to, if you're on the C train and you've seen a Muslim woman being um, targeted or an Indigenous woman being targeted or anybody being targeted you know, just some ideas of how to intervene in a positive way rather than calling the police. Uh, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their, poli their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized with uh, gender, in their budgets, um, we literally were just talking about Indigenous economics, but if they don't even include gender equity plus, then if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, Indigenous programs, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, human immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party is directly negatively and impacting marginalized people demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, their recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism and sexism in the educational health justice institutions with multiple reports that say these things demand change from election platforms and politicians. They don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism. They literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Um, if you were to Google how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies, there's so many resources now. You have no excuses. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open seven days, uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You can also text them on their um, website, hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844 
413-663-4149. It is a national toll-free 24-7 crisis line open to anyone. More locally, I'll plug um, Awutan Healing Lodge. You know, develop safety plans. You are so important to me and I want you safe. Non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area and usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. For 60 Scoops, in Alberta, uh, we have the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. Um, if you're in Alberta and you see or experience racism, you can report it, act to end racism, and text it at 587-507-3838. Uh, the following are uh, two LGBTQ plus crisis supports that are available in most areas across Canada. These will give you uh, nationwide options of who you can call, and you can find a lot of this with Trevor Project at lifevoice.ca. Uh, you can call the Trans Lifeline in Canada at 877-330-6366 and for the youth, 866-844-7386. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care and how I take my power back. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who don't know anything about colonialism, or, um, our rights, our vigils, our protests, and the constant surveillance our people endure. I and many others share this uh, info on microaggressions daily, so it is unacceptable to, um, to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism as well and gatekeeping. So please do that work uh, so that we can stop this as well. Uh, what else do I want to say? Masi Cho to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, what strength looks like through your examples. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian, but if you are non-Indigenous, do not call yourself a native Calgarian. Thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child, we are blessed to learn from daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future, trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also have a YouTube channel, you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And to all those Calgary rabbits, I'll give you side eye. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin who came down to Calgary once responded, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> 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 Thanks, ladies, for coming on my show. <laughs>